what will your future look like? The job you do today could be different than the jobs of tomorrow. Some see this as a challenge. At UCF, we see opportunity. A chance for you to grow your knowledge and strengthen your skills from anywhere life might take you. With in-demand degree programs and resources for your success, UCF Online can help you prepare for the future and all the possibilities that come with it. From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning, I'm Kelvin Thompson. And I'm Tom Cavanaugh. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Hey, Tom. Woo. Hey, Kelvin. And that didn't sound like you wooing. What was that? We have Can you another, try that again? We have another that? mystery woo. Uh, Who was that? <laughs> Who is that? Who is that mystery wooer? Uh, mystery it's, wooer, it's, it's please me. identify yourself. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, Jacob Bates. I'm uh, from the Center for Distributed Learning uh, at UCF. I'm the Tech Rangers place. team lead. The Tech Rangers team lead. Hey, Jacob. Welcome to TopCast. How'd you think, find yourself here? Yeah, I don't think you've been on before. Well, I am part of a, uh, a little uh, exclusive group. Uh, you may have heard of it called the TopCast Insiders. Uh, Trademark. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, th this includes paid promotion, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So I uh, I, de I de deciphered the uh, clue in um, uh, the the IELOL uh, special episode, I believe it was. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and now I'm here. Wow. Woo! So, I'll give you a woo for that. Yeah. Woo! Wow. That's awesome. Um, I, I, I wasn't. Think anybody would do that. <laughs> He I really wasn't didn't. sure if, if being on this show was a prize or a punishment um, <laughs> for for getting it right or getting it wrong. But uh, congratulations, you you decoded Little Orphan Annie's ring and you know drink your Ovaltine. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he actually well, said. Glad to be here. He yeah. said, "Drink your Ovaltine." Well, yeah, welcome. You, you've said before that you listen to Topcast some, so that's good. And and I hear you've mm -hmm. got a podcast of your own in the in the works. At some point, we're gonna it's gonna see the light of day. Yeah, we're working on it. We're uh, we're actually taking a lot of feedback from uh, from our test episode, and uh, we're trying to figure out uh, exactly you know just trying to iron things out, nail things down, and come up with a, a good show. Cool. You want to tell us that's a little bit awesome. about? what it's yeah, about do that yeah sure so um it's uh gonna have me and uh brent shaw uh who are um we are two technologists i guess you could say within the center for distributed learning kind of in different fields he focuses on learning management systems and servers and and that kind of thing and i focus more on web applications and websites and also integrations uh with uh web courses or with uh LMSs, I suppose I should say. And um, it's kind of just, uh, we're talking about educational technology um, from a technologist's perspective. Uh, and uh, that's about as far as we <laughs> have nailed down so far. Well, that's cool. Well, let us know when uh, when it's officially launched. and we'll I'm excited it. about it already. Yeah, we'll give it a be, plug. It's going to be good. All right, I believe we'll that. That's I bet, cool. Uh, there's top cast audience people, probably some would listen to that. Too. I am sure, yeah. Uh, an overlapping audience. That's and right. um, it's probably this, you know, having Jacob on the show makes me think we ought to, we ought to,
talk at some point about that team, about Jacob's yeah, team and the work mm-hmm. that they do and the Tech Rangers. It's it's a it's it's a part of our secret sauce, I think. Here, oh for sure. Yeah, yeah I'd love to. I think I think we ought to do that. Have you back? I, not so mystery woo. <laughs> yeah. Something. Can I still woo though? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that's fact, on uh, my contract. That's the condition. Of, <laughs> that's right. Back. That's fine. Every thirty-seven seconds, just a woo. <laughs> Random. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, but feel free to stick around. Uh, you know, see how the, the 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 secret sauce is cooked or whatever it is that we do here. And and uh, you know, if you're still here at the end, we'll, we'll hear what you think about the episode about that. All right, we'll do. All right, super. Well, Tom, that's been that's been Topcast. I hope yeah. you've had a good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we've got a whole episode to do yet, right? Yes, we do. All right. So I see you drinking, and mm-hmm. um, you poured me something. So yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna add my. Oh, before you add anything to it, you probably want to know what that is. Yeah, what is this? Well, well, first I should say, because uh, we haven't done this in a while. For those of you just joining us, we do build this as a collegial conversation conducted over a shared cup of coffee. So we try to make a connection to the thematically selected coffee of the day here at the top of the show. So I'm gonna take a. A little bit of a risk here, Tom. What does your coffee smell like? There is a, a like a an aroma. It's like some sort of a flavor in there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I just wonder if you could you could know. decipher before you froofed it. All right. Well, you can keep yeah. on froofing, and uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more. So I know you have a bit of a scouting connection, and have on occasion, I would imagine, sat around many a campfire. Drinking bad coffee. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) This is far better than anything you drink around campfire. No doubt at all. Yeah. (laughs) I can I can assure you of that. But perhaps you might have made sitting around one of those campfires, uh, one of one of those popular campfire desserts. Famous what what are those things called again? S'mores. S'mores. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, s'mores. And do you know why that is the name of the dessert? Yes, I do. Why is that? Because they're so stinking good, you want some more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, indeed, this is, in fact, a s'mores-flavored coffee called, get this, s'mory time. S'mory, s'mory time. time. Wow, that's dessert. I know. There. Yeah. Oh, especially when you put that other stuff in it. Yeah, just... <laughs> when I load it up with all of my stuff. But right. Yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah. yeah. So you this carry is on f- with the show. I'll be back here. Uh, you're going to have a good time. That's right. So this is from a Florida roaster called Bones Coffee Company in Cape Coral, Florida, which uh, our producer Tim is going to be very excited about. We had a... Uh, some colleagues who uh, used to give him that nickname Bones. So now he, yeah, maybe maybe he owns his company. I don't know. Bones Coffee Company in Cape Coral, Florida. Yeah, you know probably I'm not a big fan of uh, flavored coffee. No, but you tell me that you like your coffee to taste like coffee. That's correct. Yeah. But I was pretty impressed with this one because I found the flavor present but subtle. While the underlying coffee quality was pretty solid, I find a lot of times the flavored coffees, uh, they just are covering up, you know, in, in inferior coffee. But this is a really good coffee, and, and it's subtle. So how's the coffee in your book, and how's the connection to today's topic? Uh, well, I like the coffee. It's good. We're, <laughs> we're doing this as an afternoon, right? So it's a nice little yeah. afternoon treat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I probably couldn't drink it 
all the time, every day, but oh. it's a nice once in a while kind of coffee for me. Yeah, that's um, right. All right, so the connection, I was struggling. Uh-huh. You'll, you'll, you'll get there. Yeah, um, <laughs> you you asked me about what why they call it s'mores, right? Mm-hmm, it's so I did. stinking good, you want some more. Mm-hmm. And this podcast is a bit of a uh, some more <laughs> from our last podcast, right? That is yeah. correct. Yeah. Okay. That is correct. From our last interview podcast, our last, last second podcast. Monday. That's right. Some more on a topic and a guest that we've heard from recently. And our guest is telling her story. Yeah. S'morey time. S'morey time. S'morey okay. time. That's right. The coolest thing about this coffee, besides the taste, is um, the label is, uh, I guess they put it together for, maybe this coffee company always has like Halloween themed stuff, but they had like a, a campfire with a werewolf, a skeleton, and uh, Bigfoot all sitting around a campfire. <laughs> That's a lot like my <laughs> scout days. Yes. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. So, yes. So, Tom, you interviewed Ajita Menon recently since we've been working, teaching, and learning remotely. And there was enough in that interview for two episodes. We heard from President Menon previously on episode 76 of TopCast, and today we'll get the second part of that interview. So, you want to tell us a little bit about, uh, for those of us who didn't listen or don't remember about uh, President Menon? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of just as a as a refresh, um, Ajita Talwalkar-Menon is president and CEO for Calbright College, which is the new all-digital innovation-oriented community college in California, has kind of a competency-based model. Mm-hmm. Previously, President Menon held positions with the California Community College System and within the U.S. federal government. Notably, she served in the Obama administration as special assistant to the president for higher education policy at the White House Domestic Policy Council. So, yeah, yeah, we had a fantastic conversation and um, we talked in the first half a lot about the Calbright model, Mm -hmm. what made it distinctive, how it was going so far. And then in in this half, we kind of turn our attention more towards uh, kind of leadership topics and some specific lessons learned from uh, being a, a, a leader of what is essentially a startup, but a mm-hmm. public entity startup. And mm-hmm. and frankly, it's been very widely publicized. There's been a number of political challenges Calbright has faced launching. Um, they've they've had um, some challenges with the legislature and uh, retaining their funding that they have survived. Uh, they got cut, but they survived. But there has also been some some questioning of um, whether or not uh, it's a redundant offering by others within the California Community College system who offer online learning and um, trying to articulate the value proposition that Calbright offers to both policymakers and the public and to those who perceive you as a competitor, um, I think had some really uh, interesting leadership lessons for mm-hmm. for our listeners. Yeah. Well, with no further ado, through the miracle of modern podcast time travel technology, here, Tom, is your interview, part two, with President Menon. I'd like to now kind of turn the conversation to, to some of the, the kind of maybe broader uh, leadership uh, aspect of, of leading an institution. Um, we, we haven't had the opportunity to talk to many college presidents <laughs> on TopCast. And, um, and I think our, our listeners would be really interested in, in some of your insights. So 
as a startup, um, not a lot of uh, schools, universities have been built from the ground up in recent years. And as a startup, um, uh, I've been following from 3,000 miles away um, and, and been and rooting you guys on because I think it's important work. Um, but you've had some successes and you've had some challenges. And I wonder if you can maybe reflect a little bit kind of at a high level and then we can dig into some of the, some of the specifics. Sure. Um, I think our, our biggest challenge is really uh, there's such a lack of understanding about an evolutionary model in higher education, an innovative model, what that actually means. And for most people, it means we're chasing after some uh, flashy tech solution. <laughs> and um, I think to, to peel back and understand what it takes to actually uh, produce a model of a, and, and a build for a college that actually uh, is predicated on not uh, overly standardizing, but being able to be adaptable. It's such a foreign concept. And um, I think oftentimes it is met with uh, either confusion or sometimes even fear because new implies change and it implies change for incumbent constituencies. And um, that can be very scary uh, in, in ways that I think um, track even things like the rejection of the introduction of technology in certain aspects of the college experience, right? We've, we've all experienced that. You've all experienced that. Um, and sometimes it's this uh, very credible question about, you know, how does implementing something affect different communities differently? Sometimes it's a little bit more of an existential threat. You're fundamentally changing roles that individuals have had in a decade, sometimes century old uh, system. And you're introducing a delivery model uh, or, or set of delivery programs that and services that require a different way of working. And um, most people don't understand at a granular level how difficult and complicated that is, but also how essential that kind of a redesigned organization is for successful delivery of the model. And so um, I think the the outsized expectations for what a startup college uh, should be credibly producing compared to uh, what an established college with, um, you know, with with the entire, all, with all of their systems set up with the sort of, per, you know, uh, particular culture, uh, uh, all of those things being constant features. Uh, it is... Um, it has been difficult to under to explain to people how to how to judge the college and under what conditions. Like we should be judging right now in the early stages around capabilities that the college is developing. We should be looking at our ability uh, to really manifest learnings and improve upon them. Right, having a having a strong cycle around that process. We should be um, talking about how we are position to uh, to track data across the organization that are that you know provide the conditions under which improvement improvement can occur um, and we should be you know measuring how uh, we are setting up more permanent systems uh, under our obligation as a public entity uh, as a public education institution so um, I think there's a there's a push towards outcomes too quickly, largely because um, the assumption is that there's a degree of ease and simplicity with which uh, it takes to do all this work. And um, you, of course, know from your own <laughs> implementation contexts, um, it, it's, uh, it's that, that part is uh, 
is, is not real. And it's hard because you want to always be able to, to say, actually, uh, this is what didn't work. And it was just as important for us to understand the things that didn't work uh, to be able to respond to them and to be able to demonstrate that we can respond to them as it is to have the perfect silver bullet solution which, by the way, we don't have in conventional education, but uh, status quo reigns supreme and um, anything that differentiates tends to be uh, tends to be received with skepticism. Yeah, and that's a great point. I, I wish we would share failure more yeah. often because there's so much to be learned from it. And um, people, myself included, are hesitant to do so sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm thinking kind of in your context, uh, so we're at the, the fall of, uh, of 2020 now in the midst of the pandemic. But um, at, during the legislative session in California, it was sort of very public that there were some policymakers who uh, weren't quite as supportive of the Calbright concept as, as maybe you might have wanted them to be. And I wonder how, what strategies do you have or what have you done to help communicate the value of what you're doing. Um, and that's one reason why some people don't share failures, right? Because you don't want it to be misinterpreted as a failure as opposed to something you learned to make yourself better. Um, as you communicate to policymakers and try to make the value case for Calbright, I mean, any advice for listeners who are in a similar situation who, um, who are trying to make a value case to their leadership or to policymakers in their context? Yeah, I, um, several lessons, <laughs> no shortage of those. Um, I, uh, I think one of the early things we could have done a better job of in the system, in, in our, in, uh, at the college, is actually connecting the value of what we're doing in this micro way to what some of the larger challenges are for this population in the context of, uh, of some of the conventional education delivery. So um, I say that... Uh, um, I, uh, I, I say that because we've, uh, I think we've taken a lot of corrective action in that regard. So if, if something seems so different and so disconnected and not, um, and not um, able to demonstrate the, the way that learnings here translate to improvements in a broader system context, um, I think that, that's an important piece that we're now focused on uh, sharing with the legislature and much of what the original legislation of the college was designed to be. It was designed to be uh, an R&D function for the system, for this population approach. Um, and, uh, you know, we are, we are certainly building and raising to that capacity. I think it is important to communicate that and it is important to follow that communication up with actual doing and demonstrations of that. So a lot of our work right now, in addition to uh, ways in which we're improving what, what we're doing in terms of the programmatic and services offering, is to actually define those partnerships that help us get at some of the more intractable aspects of challenges that many of our sister institutions, many of our economic regions in California are facing. And um, we've done a lot more conversation and outreach and really listening uh, to what some of those needs and challenges might be to help us better position um, to solve for some of those with our institutions in partners with our institution in partnership with other institutions. Um, and so we've, we've done uh, two kind of uh, signaling partnerships um, that I think are, are quite illustrative of that. One is um, a conversation that we're having with 
um, conversation, a pilot that we've launched with Bakersfield College. Uh, and that uh, partnership is very much about really being able to provide a translation of the skills earned in um, Calbright to programs at Bakersfield College, a real illustration of um, how that uh, handoff can occur for uh, for higher up, higher level upskilling. In Compton, the conversation was a bit different. There was uh, we we have a partnership with Compton College that's really focused on um, a, a co-located space that looks at populations uh, where Compton College provides in community services like adult basic education and uh, how we might serve as a bridge to bringing folks in. Uh, to, uh, to to Compton College itself, and you know, it illustrates a, a gap um, that's that exists in that community. It exists in other communities as well between uh, how individuals in the in the populations that we're serving uh, view educate view education, have experienced often an educational trauma, whether it's at the at the college level or prior to that, uh, in a way that has um, that that has people not seeing that opportunity as a real and viable and accessible opportunity to them. Uh, and in other cases, uh, individuals who have experienced a failure either with one of our institutions or uh, with a uh, poor quality for profit college experience that um, uh, you know that left them worse off than had they not pursued an educational opportunity to begin with. So um, in each of these places, you know, the, this is both a demonstration of how we might work with a college, but also uh, the nature of the the joint value we want to develop uh, relative to gaps in the in the service and the experience that we're seeing in the markets that we're serving. Yeah, well, and, and those partnerships I thought were were a really interesting development in the evolution of Calbright. I mean, one, it, it seems like it um, it is definitely helping students, right? It's it's making these connections and providing a path for additional value for what you're offering. But it, from a kind of strategic standpoint, I think in many ways it takes other institutions who might have seen themselves as somewhat competitors and making them partners yeah. and potentially as advocates for what you're doing. And um, I, I think it's just a win-win all around. So I, I, from the outside looking in, thought it made a lot of strategic sense f- for a lot of different a lot of different reasons. And I, I wonder, um, maybe maybe the last question uh, in. In the context of the pandemic, uh, especially, but maybe in any situation like this, so you you were in the midst of a legislative session where there was a lot of publicity about whether or not the funding would be what you thought it would be for the college. And um, right now, a lot of people in the higher education community are waiting to see what happens with next year's budgets and whether or not they're going, particularly state institutions, um, will you have the same level of funding and will there be furloughs or layoffs or other kinds of situations? How do you communicate to your stakeholders in the midst of that kind of funding uncertainty that's so very public that that there's still a, um, a, a commitment to the mission, that there is stability, that we are going to keep pushing forward. We can't let this stop us from, from moving forward, um, whether that's to the staff itself, your faculty and staff, the students, um, uh, other, other uh, community stakeholders, whoever they might be, community leaders, or even policymakers. Like, look, we're still forging ahead. So how do you, how do you continue to, to make sure that that communication is going out, that, that, hey, we're here and we're doing this work? 
Yeah, um, I think it is uh, both a you know a sprint and a and a and a marathon. Um, the the sprint part of it is uh, is really again demonstration by doing. So uh, we we figure out what we need to be doing, and then we um, and then we talk about it. And um, I think that's the that's going to be the most important thing about the next year. I think the other thing is. Um, when we think about the challenges that institutions are facing, for example, around enrollments, and this was something that challenged some institutions differently, even even pre-pandemic, um, I think we uh, we also need to think about the role that we play in enhancing um, that value for uh, for for in other system institutions as well. And I mentioned that because I think um, it, you know what we're talking about. If we if we really look at the data, is individuals who are who would not ordinarily come find find their way to an institution or be able to um, have longevity in that institution. That's that's primarily where we're focused on. So there, uh, you know, it's a it's a for lack of a better word, a new market that um, provides opportunities if we serve them well at our college and at our sister colleges. And so, I think um, as folks are thinking about what where growth will occur at their own institutions as CEOs and presidents are thinking about that. Um, there's very few things that are, uh, that are additive and a small, you know, even if you were to dissolve Calbright and reinvest those resources in the system, um, the margin that you would get with that distributed investment versus the value you would get, uh, for individual system institutions as, uh, you know, by having Calbright intact, but working towards some of these common deficits that um, that are plaguing them, um, I think that's going to be a very important thing for us to to work on unlocking and uh, and also how we think about some of some of the future partnership activities. There's there's no um, there's no doubt there will continue to be pressure on the budget in the coming years, uh, not just next year but the year after that. But um, you know, it is the size of the investment and um, the potential value if we're allowed to do our work in the way that we need to, um, and the essential nature of the work that we do, the commitment that everybody in our institution feels to that um, is what keeps us uh, uh, waking up in the morning and uh, fighting the good fight. I think uh, that is equally true of, you know, we talked a lot about institutions, but um, that's equally true of other folks in other parts of the public infrastructure, public systems, um, support we, we see from how we are so well aligned with the broader strategy in California, the governor's strategy in California around uh, economic recovery. So um, I think there is uh, I think there's a lot of things in our favor as long as what we spend our time doing now is not just communicating about things, but actually uh, demonstrating those things. Great. I, I think I think a lot of people will, will resonate with that, and um, and I can't thank you enough uh, for being on on Topcast and and sharing information about Calbright and your insights on on leadership. Uh, I could I could keep talking <laughs> and and listening, but uh, I think we're pretty much out of time. I want to thank you so much for being with us, Ajita. Thank you, Tom. I really enjoy this and appreciate the opportunity. Well, Tom, that was your interview part two with President Menon. Yeah, uh, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I found her really uh, a fascinating person to talk to. Um, I got a lot out of that conversation. One thing I'd like to 
to maybe highlight that that you probably noticed as you were listening to that, and especially if you watched it online, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that uh, her her child makes a cameo appearance in the middle of that because, like everyone else, she's been working from home. Even a college president is working from home and having to um, oversee her her child's K through twelve education, which is mm-hmm. which is remote. And um, she's facing all the same challenges that everybody else is in managing all aspects of her life, both personal and professional. And, and I think to her credit, I don't think she would mind if I said this, that we offered to kind of cut that out if, if she wanted us to. And, and to her credit, she said, uh, no, leave it in. It's fine. Um, and and I, think, um, I think it's a great example for somebody who's trying to balance everything that's going on. Yeah, I agree. I think lead by example, right? Yeah. I think we, we need more of that. Exactly. Unlike the 32 takes that we've taken to get to this point in the episode. No, that's <laughs> not true. If, you know, if only we took more than one take ever. This show would be way better if we edited it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's true. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I thought it was good. Uh, I thought uh, it was really interesting. Like you said, right before we cut to the interview, uh, a startup in like the public sector, uh, I think maybe she uses the phrase building a new college from the ground up. And I think that's a, that is a fascinating concept. Like if you had a truly blank canvas, what would you do? And that sounds like an interesting thought experiment, but turns out it's a lot messier on the ground. Oh, it is. And, and if you look at the context that, that she's in, where she has um, others in the community college system that don't exactly welcome Calbright into the fold and um, have legislators that represent the districts that these other colleges are in that are actively advocating potentially against its existence um, mm-hmm combined with a very challenging fiscal context currently with the pandemic, um, and they were looking to cut funding, um, how do you communicate a, a valid value proposition to all yeah. of these stakeholders so that you you get them to be on, on your side? And th- that strategy that they're using of, of partnering now mm-hmm. with a couple of these community colleges. I think it was in Compton and one in uh, Bakersfield, Bakersfield if, I'm, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I think so. And, and bringing them into your kind of coalition by offering value-added services to them because you're mm-hmm. basically, you're not offering degrees, but so you can drive students to their institutions mm-hmm. for degrees. Um, brings them along as allies, potentially, for your cause, as opposed to setting yourself up as as an adversary. I think it's a really smart, mm-hmm. strategic thing. I mean, not to mention all the, the benefit it has for the citizens of California, which is, I think, a good thing. It provides different ways to step into your educational journey, sort of that laddering idea. But just from a strategic standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, uh, I think I think it's a really smart move, and, and I hope that... Uh, she's able to to craft more of these kinds of partnerships. Yeah, uh, I I think she even commented about connecting your value proposition to the the concept was kind of like the felt needs of your stakeholders and and so what you've described as a living out of that, but I think that was good advice, especially as you said, um, I think she was pretty honest about kind of the new this startup kind of concept uh, being faced with fear and resistance. Uh, and that's, 
that's challenging. Like, you know, when you're, sounds good on paper, but in reality, uh, you know, you're, you're a disruptive force and, and messing with the status quo. And, and, and sometimes, uh, frankly, the status quo is there for a reason, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know what they say, uh, I've heard this many times, that, that resistance to change is typically fear-based, Mm-hmm. Right, because if somebody is the, is resisting a particular change, yeah. whatever it is, there there's a fear that it will negatively impact them yeah. in, in some way, sure. and overcoming that fear and providing an alternative narrative about how this mm-hmm. change could potentially be good, it, yeah. it can be it can be hard, and that's that's just work that has to be that has to be done. But um, it seems like she's on her way. Yeah, I did like the. You know, her, I think it was toward the end, um, her comment that, the budget comment, right, that even if you were to, if you were to disaggregate the Calbright budget and send it back out, you still wouldn't get the same outcomes as centralizing them in a Calbright. I mean, I think that's a, that's a good, strong assertion. Yeah, um, yeah, I think she's right. I mean, because if you, if you took what Calbright's currently getting and just distributed around the ginormous, <laughs> California Community College system, it would probably have very little impact on each of those individual campuses because it'd be so disaggregated. But instead, if you bring it all together, you can maybe have an impact. I think I think you're right. I think that's a that's an important point. Yeah. No, I think that's good. We'll have to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to thank um, Ajita for taking the time to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Enjoy the conversation, like I said, and thank Jacob for for making a cameo appearance here on our podcast. Yeah, so you've made it from the beginning all the way to the end, and not many people can say that. Uh, Jacob, what do you, are you just as positive at the end of the show as at the beginning? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, in, in fact, I'm probably uh, in a better mood than I was at the beginning. We didn't even give you any coffee. <laughs> yeah, you should have some no, more. I, I had I had some already. So. Oh, good. Oh, nice. What are you drinking? <laughs> should I ask you what uh, you're drinking? I have, well, I have one of the... Um, uh, one of the lineage coffee uh, single origins. Uh, I believe this one was from um, uh, Ethiopia. Yeah. Okay. In my, we uh, could have you back yeah. anytime, especially <laughs> if you're going to bring the coffee. That would be that yeah. would be awesome. Um, I I would love to. All right, that's good. Well, Tom, you want to land this plane for us? Yeah. So um, maybe one way to kind of uh, think about all of this is is that. Uh, focusing on on the distinctives, the uh, the key value propositions will allow institutions to differentiate themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, both competitively and um, and um, to stakeholders who might be uh, who might be interested uh, either as allies or <laughs> or people who are questioning, um, and hopefully will help these these institutions find their way towards mm-hmm. continued relevance and impact. We all want to continue to be relevant these days. That's right. I know I do. Yeah, yeah. I know I do. Um, We have time for a quick plug before we get out of here, you think? Let's just do it. I say yes. All right. That's what I like about you, Tom. I say yes. Good. Well, uh, hey, TopCast listeners, dear ones that you are, we are on Twitter. We've been on Twitter. We've been on Twitter since the beginning, but we don't always mention anything about it. Uh, Maybe you're on Twitter. Maybe you could be on Twitter. Each episode of TopCast gets salient points drip-tweeted. That's almost like a coffee reference, Jacob. Drip-tweeted in a mini-campaign. Also, occasional special events and promotions are shared. And you can find us on Twitter at TopCastNow. 
Topcast N-O-W. Uh, follow us. Get some perks. Get some drip tweets. Make some coffee. Well, and it's That's also it. it's a great way because I know that uh, that account will um, uh, occasionally tag people from the mm-hmm. episode that we mentioned yep. or other resources, and it's mm-hmm. a great way to kind of go deeper into some of the, the things that we talk about if you want to. And get connected with the people that you yeah. hear on here or that we name drop or whatever. That's right. We're going to start name dropping random people and see if that uh, ups <laughs> our listenership. Oh, let's try it. Okay. Cool. All right, Barack Obama, we're going to see if you turn into... <laughs> no, maybe not. All right. Well, until next time for TopCast, I'm Kelvin. And I'm Tom. See ya. See ya.